This morning we're going to continue with our series, Words from the Hill, um, that we started out as a summer series. We've only made it through 13 verses in four weeks. There's three chapters. I'm not real confident we're going to make it through by the end of the summer. Just to let you know, um, we'll do our best to get through it. Um, But we'll walk through this as it comes to us and as we um, examine these. But where we have been thus far is we have seen that Jesus has sat down with his disciples with this group of people that are present. And he has laid for them in verses 3 through 12 a framework for them to know this is, as a follower of Jesus, this is the expectation for you. These are the guidelines for you, the framework, the puzzle pieces around the edge for you to say, this is how you are to begin to live your life. Now again, I want to make sure I say this every week. Jesus is not saying, do this to become a follower of Jesus. He's saying, since you are a follower of Jesus, therefore, you begin to do these things. Now, last week we ended with a phrase that I want to see uh, if you can remember. All right, don't put it on the screen yet for these guys. All right, let's see if you guys can say it. Can you mumble through? There was a little phrase there. It started with the word eyes. Anybody ready? One, two, three, go. All right. Somebody was in the first service, I think. They got it right, all right? Let's, let's mumble through it, but let's put it on the screen for you this morning. Eyes up, ears on, hearts open. Eyes up, ears on, hearts open. I'm going to continue to pour that and pound that into you because as we examine and take the characteristics that he laid for us in verses 3 through 12, and then we come to verse 13 through 16, we're going to see that now he's projecting to the people to say, Now, here's your responsibility into the world. Here's the way that you now take, verse 3 through 12, and do that in this world. And what I want to keep saying to you guys, we cannot live as followers of Jesus, eyes closed, head down, eyes off, and hearts sealed off only to the things that are important to us. We have to lift up our eyes to see a broken world. We've got to turn our ears on to hear the brokenness in conversations. And we've got to have our hearts broken by what breaks the heart of God so that we can respond as children of God. So we can respond, as we're going to see today, as salt and light. So this really feeds in exactly with our purpose statement as a church, shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. Shaping means to influence. It means to impact. It means believing that there's something greater. And I believe as a congregation, as a group of believers in Jesus Christ, that we have something greater than the world has. Thank you for the two amens, all right? A couple of you are listening, all right? That we have something greater to impact this broken, dark world. And what is it? It's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want us to walk through verse 13 through 16 this morning. Let's begin with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Salt, light. 
our two focal points of the day. Here's what I love about Jesus' teaching. We saw in the end, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount from four weeks ago that Jesus taught with authority that astonished and amazed. And it's amazing and astonishing to me that the two profound illustrations that Jesus uses here, we still get today. There's not a lot of people that give illustrations that work for 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years later, salt and light. Warren Wiersbe said, our task is to keep our lives pure so that we might salt this earth and hold back corruption so that the gospel can get out. Salt and light in this world. So here's where we're going to land today. As salt we preserve, as light we pursue. As salt we preserve, as light we pursue. As salt we take the broken, we take the light, we take the grace, and we pour it out onto our world. And we preserve giving an opportunity to share the grace of Jesus Christ. Salt influences and preserves a decaying world. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus says in Luke chapter 30, uh, 14, verse 34, it's accounted this way. Listen, this is even stronger. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. There's an illustration you don't hear every day, right? It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. It sounds crazy to even say unsalty salt, doesn't it? The people of this day would have heard Jesus say, if salt loses its saltiness, and I think there's some people in the crowd that would have gone, what's he talking about? Because here's what they knew. When you think of salt, you think of something to add to something that's maybe already salty. You just want a little bit more on it, right? You want a little bit more salt on your chips. You want to season it up a little bit more. But when you and I go shopping for salt, we go to the grocery store, it's on the bottom rung of the shelf. It's not a precious commodity to you anymore. It's a seasoning. There's salt, there's pepper, there's 14,000 other seasonings there. You reach down, and for a buck, you can grab a can of it, and you can take it home, and you can use your salt. You season with it. These folks preserved with it. And here's what I mean by that. They would take meat and they would pack it in salt because they did not have refrigerators. Hunters in the room, they did not have a deer freezer out in their garage. All right? They had salt. And they would take meat and they would pack it with salt. And here's what salt would do. Salt would draw out the moisture which prohibits bacteria from growing in whatever it's upon. Because without moisture... Bacteria cannot grow. So salt pulls out the moisture, disabling it from spoiling. This is what they knew. So when Jesus says, if salt loses its saltiness, they're thinking, what? There's no such thing. Salt can't not be salty. Now, in the South, we have a piece of meat that we still eat. Some of you still like, all right? And you understand the process of preserving. It's called country ham, right? It's called country ham. If you amen, there's a blood pressure cuff on the way out, we'll check you, all right? 
Because, man, you take a bite of country ham and you have eaten salt with a little bit of ham, all right? And I remember going to the grocery store. My mom, as a kid, we would go in and there's a little rack there at the grocery store and there's this meat. And I go back the next week and it's the same meat. And in my brain, I'm going, that was there last week. I'm not sure I want to eat this because my meat goes home and goes in the refrigerator, right? It's called country ham. You take it, you eat it, you salt up, your blood pressure skyrockets, all right? You understand it. You know it. But these folks lived by it. Saul was such a precious commodity that at times entire trade routes were shut down because of the passage of salt. This is not a bottom-of-the-shelf seasoning. This is a top-of-the-list preservative. Jesus is saying from the get-go, listen to me, church, he's not hiding here. He's not going to, for two solid chapters, three chapters, dance around what he's expecting of followers of Jesus. He's coming right out and he's saying, here's the characteristics and you are to be salt. You are going to be given the opportunity and the responsibility to preserve the name of Jesus. You are salt. If you in this room declare Jesus, Jesus, you make the mountains tremble, you are also saying, Jesus, Jesus, I will preserve your name in a broken, dark world. It's not an either or. It's a both and. It is a preservative for us to say and for us to realize unsalty salt is not salt. So let's move that forward. Followers of Jesus who do not preserve and impact and speak the words of Jesus, therefore are they not followers. Jesus isn't holding back punches, folks. He's not trying to start a movement on on sinking sand. He wants them to know, as my followers, this is my expectation for you. This is what's been laid upon you. And maybe you've never heard this before as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're new to church or you've just come back to church. This is the level. I told you when we started this, at some point, this Sermon on the Mount is going to make you uncomfortable. And this is one of those moments. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus is making sure that he laid this out there. You are the salt of the earth. So I want you to look at your neighbor, all right? And I want you to tell them you are the salt of the earth. Ready, set, go. That died really quick. One husband in the last service looked at his wife. She said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, I'm the pepper. Just, you know, it happens. You are the salt of the earth. But I don't know if you've considered yourself salt. I don't know if you've considered yourself before this morning a preservative for the name of Jesus. And one of the ways that we preserve the name of Jesus is by living a character-filled life. So we preserve the name of Jesus. We make known the name of Jesus by speaking truth and living according to verse 3 through 12. You see, it's a, it's a both and. It builds upon each other. We impart living, right living, into relationships. And we realize at some point we enter into relationships and we go, man, this is broken, this is dark. But I'm going to preserve here. I'm going to speak truth here. 
Now this is really, I want you, this is really important. Character-filled presence in the lives of people is not holier-than-thou presence. Verse 3 pretty much covers that already. This is a faith, a relationship of humility that we live out into this broken world, but we are had to live out a character-filled presence in a broken world. People should know and should see the fruit in our lives, growing in our lives. They should see that and say, that is a follower of Jesus. Why? Because they look like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They're not holier. They're not better. They're pursuing Jesus. Now, as a pastor, um, if you want to change a conversation or change the behavior of somebody, uh, if you just walk into a room and just say, hey, I'm a preacher, everything in the room changes, right? It's amazing. Movies get turned off. Language changes. Okay, what they're drinking. It, uh, everything just, whoo, all right, everything gets crazy. About 12 years ago, I was working with a local ministry here in town. It wasn't here at the church. And I, I walked up, and as I walked up, I could tell that the, the guy walking toward me knew me, and I didn't know him, but he came to me, and he had his hands behind his back, and he came directly at me, and he said, well, hey, preacher, how are you? And I went, man, I'm good. And so we, we're having this conversation, and uh, magically, I, I don't know how this happened, all right? Magically, as we're talking, he, there's a halo forming above his head of smoke. Not really a halo, just kind of smoke. And here's what I started to figure out. This guy has a cigarette behind his back. Now, listen, this is not an anti-smoking message, okay? All right, this is, I could pull from 100 different illustrations. But he's standing there, and he's, and he's starting to get nervous. Because here's what, I, here's what I'm, I'm figuring. I, I just figured I'd keep talking to him, see how long the cigarette will burn behind his back. And so it's behind his back, and he starts getting fidgety because I think he's figuring out with his hands, his finger's about to get burned, right? And so I just say, hey, man, you know, you can bring that cigarette out and smoke that. You know, we're, we're, we're okay. He brings it out. I kid you not, he brings up the cigarette. He looks at it. He throws it down. He stomps on it. He's so disgusted in it. And he looked like somebody put it behind him. Like it wasn't his. He's like, oh, I don't know where that came from. He throws it down. And he's like, oh, a preacher. And he kept on talking. I, I didn't point it out. I didn't try to say, man, what, what's going on? I, I was trying to form a relationship with somebody and just live Jesus. We have to be intentional. Salt is not accidental. It has one purpose, all right? It, it preserves. It is called to preserve. It is called to make sure, to ensure, to give the opportunity before something spoils, before something sours, for the truth to infiltrate. That doesn't happen accidentally. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we've got to enter into relationships with our eyes up, with our ears on, with our hearts open, to not nitpick and pull and perceive ourselves as better than. Jesus is speaking against that here. But in essence, what we're saying to them is I hope that when we finish this conversation, Something, verse 3 through 12, the fruit of the Spirit, something has been left hanging as a fruit for you to walk away from here and know that something's different. Now listen, I've never seen this guy since. 
My goal was not to condemn him. My goal was not to insult him. My goal was not to make him feel bad for this behavior or the other. Again, you can impart lots of different ones. I was simply having a conversation with a man on the street who, as we talked, began to share with me that life wasn't going well. The opportunity to be salt. One of the ways that we preserve the truth of Jesus Christ is living, character-filled lives. Verses 3 through 12 is all over it. Character-filled lives preserves. Light pursues. Followers of Jesus, we're not passive. We, We don't smirk at misery of an immoral culture. We weep an immoral culture. We're not simply cynical of a rotting world. We're grieved by it. The salt of the earth doesn't mock the rotting. Instead, it steps in where it can It saves and seasons, and where it can't, it weeps. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. It steps in, and it saves where it can, and seasons where it can, and where it can't, it it weeps. Salt, light. You are salt, you are light. This is a reference that Jesus is making, but he's pulling from the history of the children of Israel from the Old Testament. It's not a new idea. In Isaiah chapter 9, God's word says this, The people who walked walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. There are so many similarities uh, between Isaiah and the Sermon on the Mount, the words from the hill that we could really bring those in and parallel those together. Isaiah chapter 42 says this, verse 6, I am the light of the world. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for my people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I want to read that again because this is not foreign to us and should not be because we are called to be light, to bring people, to expose sin, thankfully, graciously recognize our own and introduce them to Jesus Christ. He says, a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison who sit in darkness. We live in a dark world. There's, there's some Saturdays when I'm editing and revamping and looking over my sermon again that I wonder if the, the events of the day, if I, if I need to change. But every day there's something, is there not? There's some tragedy. There's some level of darkness that you, you feel like, should I address it here? Should I address it here? But every single day we are reminded that we live in a broken, dark world. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This is not a hypothetical, folks. This is not a, well, some folks in the crowd. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
a 2,000-year-old illustration, right? And we get it. Now, this is before cell phones that had flashlights or flashlights or batteries or electricity or light bulbs. Light and candles were a necessity. They would take it, they would light it, and they go, well, you would never cover it up. It'll put out the light. It won't dispel the darkness. No, you put it up on a stand and it will dispel the darkness in the entire room. Light reveals what is hidden in darkness. Light will reveal what is hidden in darkness immediately. You ever been to the movie and walked out in the middle of a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon and you've been watching a movie and it's dark and you walk out and all of a sudden you go, wow, what was that? That's how I feel every Sunday up here, right? You walk into, directly into the light, and it dispels things, it reveals things that have currently or formerly been hidden. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Some of you have heard this reference before. In the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus makes a statement that almost all of us are familiar with. He says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Got it. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark. He doesn't come to Jesus in the daylight. He doesn't want the other religious leaders to know he has questions and he wants to come to Jesus. He comes to him in the dark. But listen to what Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. He said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Hey, Nicodemus, you're going to make this decision, you're going to make it in the light. Other people are going to know. If we begin to live lives that we are the light of the world, there are times when we will light up a room, light up a relationship, illuminate something going on, and there's going to be those moments just when you walk out of the movie theater and you go, whoa, 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 what was that? There's going to be people that if you live a life of truth and a life of character-filled presence in their lives, that there's going to be moments where they, they understand it and moments where they step back from it because they're blinded. And that's okay. But we should in those moments keep our eyes up, keep our ears on, keep our hearts open, looking for opportunities to continue to be the light. As I was studying, I came across this quote from a philosopher, a little-known guy by the name of Plato. He says this, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Let me repeat that. We can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of light. Because Jesus already said, you know why they're afraid? Because things are going to get exposed. If we were to take and cover every window, every light, every exit sign, break the law, all right, do all those kind of things, take your phones, turn them all off, turn off every stage light, everything that's lit up here, and we would make this room pitch black, if one little hole pinhole came through one of those doors over there everybody in the room would would know what we'd know our way out 
you'd immediately go, I'm not sure what's on the other side of that door, but I know there's light and I know it's dark in here. So that little tiny light lights up the path. This is what you're called to be. You're called to be the light. It may be a little light in the middle of a dark world, but I promise you, if you'll live as salt, if you'll live as light, if you'll live according to verses three through 12, that when you step into some broken relationships, some dark relationships, you may reveal darkness, but I pray you reveal the path to light. I pray that you will reveal to those who are broken, this is the way out of sin. This is the way out of darkness because I've experienced it. This is the way to find grace. Let me show you the way. Because light reveals the path out of darkness. The lights come on. Everything that's hidden is now seen. And there's a path to get out. Years ago, I was in student ministry um, before I became pastor here. And uh, one of my last years of student ministry, we had a graduating class. We were leaving for Honduras in a couple days. And our, uh, we had two interns, one of who's an associate pastor here now. We had two, two interns at the time um, for student ministry. And we had come up with this double plan. One of the interns was going to tell the high school seniors, hey, we're going to roll the, the pastor, the, the student pastor's house. Now, if you don't know what role their house is, if you'll give us your address, we can take care of that tonight, okay? My sons and I, we, we can do that, all right? We can, we can, if you don't know what it is, ask somebody around you. If nobody around you knows, seriously, just let us know. We'll, we'll help you. We'll introduce you, okay? And so here's what was going to happen. They were going to come in the middle of the night. They were going to take toilet paper and throw it all over our trees. We don't have any good trees in our front yard. So they were going to come in our backyard. Now, if you're looking at my house, and I'm the house to the left, there is a lot beside us, and then there's a pathway. And the pathway goes to this 10-acre field behind my house, which comes right up against the backyard. It'd be a great way to come in, sneak in the backyard, and put toilet paper all over the trees and leave. They didn't know that one intern was planning it. The other one knew, and we were planning a counterattack. Right? So the path... It can get overgrown, all right? So it's in the middle of, it's right at the beginning of summer, so there's green everywhere. So we took hoses and we ran them out to the edge of the path. We had flour, okay? We had a couple students that were hidden, a couple college students, and here was the goal. We'll get them all trapped in the middle of this little area, and right at the right moment, somebody will yell, scream, or holler. We'll turn on these lights, and it's going to cause sheer panic. We're going to spray water. We're going to throw flour, and it worked, and they were furious, but it was beautiful, right? It was a great night of life, a great night of living. They, they ended up coming in the house afterwards, and we hung out for a little bit, and they were so, so, so mad. Um, the non-important detail that you, you must know is three days later, we were on a plane heading to Honduras, and the night before, I realized that the nice little soft patch area that I was hiding in before we jumped out was poison ivy everywhere, right? So joke on me, all right? I, I ended up with the bad end of the joke. But I share that with you because we had these, these thousands of lumens lights at the end of the path, and when they came on, you could see their faces go, whoa, what's happening? What's taking place? When light enters this dark world, when the lights come on in someone's life, maybe in this room this morning, you're hearing this and you're recognizing your sins and your need for a Savior. There's going to be part of you in the moment to go, whoa, it's okay. 
Just take a minute. Let it clear up a little bit. And let us introduce you to Jesus. Let let us introduce you to grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Also, there's a realization of this. Listen, you lights in the world, because you are lights in the world. You need to realize that at times when you turn on the light, that those that you're exposing darkness aren't going to run to the light. They're going to run deeper in darkness. And that's where we have to prayerfully, carefully have our eyes open, our ears on, and our hearts broken by their darkness and continue to pray that the light will penetrate their hearts. Don't leave them alone. Don't say, man, they got darker. When I expose the light, they push further. Then you pray harder. Then you continue to seek and preserve and pursue as God opens the door. As salt you preserve, as light you pursue. Because here's ultimately what we're illuminating. Here's what we're lighting up. Make sure we know this. This is not about us illuminating ourselves, us pointing people to us. Verse 15 and 16 says, Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Do not miss this. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is not about making the name of a church great. This is about making something that is worthy to be great, great, and it is God in heaven. It's not about making a pastor great. It's not about making a group of musicians great. It is about bringing people, letting our lives be a light to them to introduce them through our good works to our Heavenly Father. You're just a conduit of light. You're just letting light shine through you, dispelling, permeating the darkness around you. Light leads others to know and grow in Jesus and give glory to God. If the light's pointing to us, if the light's pointing to me, if the light's pointing to a name, then we are failing. The light should point to our Father. You are the light of the world. So look at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Let him know it. Let him know it.